All right. Well, welcome, everybody, and those of you who joined late and those of you who listened to the replay. This is the Change Works Hypnosis Teleseminar on memory, increasing recall, using hypnosis and other techniques. And it is March. It's the 21st of March. It's still snowy and cool outside in Minnesota. And as I was putting this together, I was having a lot of memories, and I was thinking a lot about what our memories are and how our memories define who we are, what we remember, and how we remember, and how we feel about those memories, and how those things really define who we are, not just our experiences, but the meanings that we take away from those experiences really define who we are. And I was also just thinking about, you know, when people say, I want help with my memory, they usually mean they want to be able to remember things more easily, you know, on cue, and not have that that little tip of the tongue phenomenon where you're like, oh, I, I, it's, I just can't remember it. And then you remember it later, of course, when you're not trying to remember it. And we'll talk about that. And also the times when you, you know, forget to bring with you this, that, or the other that you needed, or forget to mail out a package or whatever the case may be. And that's what people usually are talking about. And so that made me think back to a few events in my life. One, I was just sharing with somebody today when I was in my early 30s, and I, I know, and I know when it was in my life because I had been divorced and I was in my condo and I was single and I was talking on the phone a lot with my mom. We talked pretty much every day. And I remember I'd, be, I'd walk into one of the rooms in, in my condo and I, my mom on the phone, and I'd be like, ah. I walked into this room with a decided purpose, and now I cannot remember what that is. I just don't know what I'm doing. And she, you know, she was, you know, in her upper 60s, and she'd say, "I am so glad that you're, you know, 30 years old, and you're saying that because I thought it was just me having senior moments. But it makes me feel better to know that you're having that at your age. And it made me really, it, it, that stuck in my mind, and it wouldn't have if she hadn't said that. You know, but it was like, hmm, I wonder how many people at all ages have this little, you know, mind blip phenomenon, and you don't think anything of it, and so you don't ascribe any, any meaning to it until you get older, because the, you know, the story that we've all accepted is that as you get older, you have more of those. Do you really, um, or were you having them all along? But now you're noticing them because you're supposed to notice them. And then I was remembering my ninth grade speech teacher. And I, you know, I can't remember her name. If I go into hypnosis, I could because it's all there. But um, it was Miss something. And she was in her mid to late 20s. And she, <laughs> she was hilarious. She would, it happened more than once, <laughs> she'd be in the middle of telling us something and then just stop because she'd lost her train of thought. And she would look out at us and she would throw her hands in the air and she'd say, petite mal seizure. <laughs> As if we understood what that was and why that explained what was going on. 
<laughs> but it stuck in my head because it was kind of it was cute and it was funny and it was it was unusual, and I wondered what in the world a petite mal seizure was. Um, so she was in her in her mid to late twenties. So, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves about our memory and what we expect from our memory, um, those might not be based in in reality because you're you're your interpretation of what's going on changes as you move through your life. So things that make you go, hmm, right? So it could be that you have a better memory than you actually um, think that you do. And are your expectations of your memory really realistic? Or is your disappointment in your own memory realistic? Or, or is, are, you, are you expecting a different story? So that said, if you feel like or if you are determined that you know that your memory could use some improving, hypnosis is a great help with that. So we're going to go through some information, as we always do, about what memory is, how it works, how hypnosis helps with your memory, and some simple things you can do to keep your memory sharp now and in the future. And some of these techniques are hypnotic and some aren't. I like to sprinkle it around a little bit so that you have strategies to involve all areas of your life. And you do want to do things to boost and protect your memory and cognitive skills, believe me. This week, did anybody catch it? The statistic came out, and I thought it was really timely for our call today. The statistic came out this week that one in three Americans has dementia when they die. One in three. You'll hear my dog. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> no, no, quiet. Good cavaliers. They, uh, <laughs> they're a little pent up with the weather, too. They'd be outside if, if it wasn't for the <laughs> weather right now. That and my fence isn't working, my electric fence. So one in three Americans has dementia, either Alzheimer's or another form of dementia when they die. One in three. So not only will we cover, what we'll cover today is going to help you improve your memory right now, but continuing to use some or all of the practices I share with you today will go a long way toward keeping you out of that one in three because I don't want to see you there. You don't want to see you there, and the people who love you don't want to see you there. And in fact, there's no reason you should be. That statistic is not nearly as high in other parts of the world, and it didn't used to be that high here. So clearly there are things that you can do, lifestyle things that you can do to prevent that from happening. So I want to help you get in front of that. So let's start by getting an overview of memory and what memory is, how memory works in the brain, or at least to the extent of our understanding now, because there are still a lot of unanswered questions about how memory works, and there's a lot of research going on all the time. In fact, some interesting research came out in the fall of this past year that showed that they had figured out how memory was stored in the cells of the brain, and then they'd been able to wipe out selective, specific memories in rats. And the article I read postulated that this could, be, this could provide a new therapy for people to wipe out specific memories. Oh, my goodness. I was actually so concerned, I quickly put together a YouTube video about that, and you can find that out on YouTube because I find that quite disturbing. 
Um, and I know that there are people who would opt for this if it were available today because I've had more than one person call to see if I could use hypnosis to erase their memories of a specific event or person. And my answer to them is always no, because, and then that's not because there aren't techniques that would, that would be um, helpful in that. Um, hypnosis is very good at creating amnesia. But my answer is no, because it would be unethical. If your mind feels that a memory is too traumatic for you to remember, your mind will block it. And that's what we call defense mechanisms. But if you can remember it, even if it's uncomfortable or painful as a memory, your mind has decided that you have the ability to handle it. And think about this. This is how we grow stronger in ourselves and learn about life, is properly processing those events in our life that are emotionally challenging. We must take the lessons and leave the rest. So enough about that. But it is interesting, and just to say that there is a lot we don't know about memory. But we do know that the limbic system in our brains is very involved in the creation, storage, and retrieval of information, of memories. And not coincidentally, hypnosis involves the limbic system as well. So let's take a look at the limbic system. The hippocampus, hippocampus is a horseshoe-shaped area of the brain that plays an important role in consolidating information from short-term memory into long-term memory. That's part of the limbic system. And it's a, it's a system that's associated with emotions and long-term memories. The hippocampus is involved in such complex processes as forming, organizing, storing, and retrieval of memories. Now, both sides of the brain are symmetrical. And so the hippocampus can be found in both hemispheres. So if one side of the hippocampus is damaged or destroyed, memory function will remain nearly normal as long as the other side is undamaged. So damage to both sides of the hippocampus can impede the ability to form new memories, which is known as anterograde amnesia. So function in the hippocampus can also decline with age. By the time people reach their 80s, they may have lost, lost as much as 20% of the nerve connections in the hippocampus. But not all older adults exhibit this neuron loss. Those who do show decreased performance on memory tests, but there's plenty of evidence to suggest that you, through your own actions, can influence whether this happens to you by taking steps to keep your memory and cognition sharp during all ages of your life. So how does hypnosis interact with the limbic system? Recent research, this came out about ooh, a year and a half ago. Um, I wrote about it on my examiner column. Hmm. I want to say about a year and a half ago. Um, that shows specifically which parts of the brain are involved during hypnosis. And those are areas of the limbic system, and most specifically, the hippocampus and the anterior cingulate cortex. Now, while there is no research I could find to say one way or the other, the involvement of the hippocampus in creating and maintaining the hypnotic state, given its known involvement in the creation, storage, and retrieval of memory, may explain why hypnosis is effective in improving memory recall and retrieval. The other explanation is that in hypnosis, the brain waves slow down. And as we know, the faster brain waves that you have when you're, when you're really trying hard to remember something or, or when you're in a state of anxiety, those faster brain waves are associated with the blockage of memory recall. 
That's what happens to people with test-taking anxiety. But it happens to all of us at one time or another. It's that tip of the tongue phenomenon. The harder you try to remember the name of that restaurant, the further it seems to slip away. But when you're relaxed a couple of hours later and you're not trying to remember that bit of information anymore, up it pops into your mind. Thank you very much. It's like delayed Google. <laughs> this is this is because of what's called the mental law of reverse effect. The law of reverse effect basically says the harder you think of something using your conscious mind, the less responsive your subconscious mind becomes. So hypnosis aids memory by helping us relax. Slow down those brain waves, thereby thereby making recall easier. I would also note that the brain waves involved in memory are the slower brain waves. The theta bandwidth is very involved in memory with the hippocampus. So it makes sense that as you produce more and more of those slow brain waves that were involved in the creation and storage of the memory, retrieval becomes easier, kind of like dialing in the right radio station by reaching that frequency. Of course, this is about retrieval. That's what we're talking about tonight, retrieval, which is what most people think about when they talk about having a better memory. The accuracy of those memories, whether they're remembered using hypnosis or not, is another thing entirely. So let's just go through a few facts about memory uh, and help to dispel some myths about things that you might have heard and even believed were true up until now. So first is um, that memory actually does not decay. Everyone's experienced the frustration of not being able to recall a fact from memory. It could be someone's name, the French word for town hall, or where the car is parked. So it seems obvious that memories decay, like fruit going bad. But the research doesn't support this view. Instead, many researchers think that, in fact, memory has a limitless capacity. Everything is stored in there, but without rehearsal, without accessing those memories over and over, memories become harder and harder to, ac to access. This means it's not the memory that's going bad, it's the ability to retrieve it, and it only goes bad because it hasn't been retrieved for too long. But what on earth is the point of a brain that remembers everything but can't recall most of it? Also, Lost memories, things that you think you have forgotten, can live again. There's another side to the fact that memories do not decay. That's the idea that although memories may become less accessible, they can be revived. And that's um, the role of hypnosis, forensic hypnosis in particular, is used to revive memories that the person believes are completely lost to them. So even things that you've been unable to recall are still there, just waiting to be woken up. Hypnosis is one of the most effective ways of doing this. Experiments have shown that even information that has long become inaccessible can still be revived. And then it's relearned more quickly than new information is. This is like the fact that you never forget how to ride a bike, but it doesn't just apply to motor skills. It also applies to memories. Here's another one. Recalling memories alters the memories. Mm -hmm. Although it's a fundamental of memory, the idea that recall alters memories just seems wrong, doesn't it? How can remembering something change 
our memory itself. But it's true. Just by recalling a memory, it becomes stronger in comparison to other memories. And so let's run this through an example. For example, you say you, you think back to one particular birthday from childhood, and you remember getting a Lego spaceship. Each time you remember that fact, the other things you got for your birthday that day become weaker in comparison. So the process of remembering, the process of recall, is actually actively constructing the past, or at least the parts of your past that you can remember. And this is only the beginning. False memories can potentially be created by this process of falsely recalling the past. And psychologists have done many experiments experimentally implanting false memories, and it's um, disturbingly easy to do. So this raises the fascinating idea that effectively we create ourselves by choosing which memories to recall. And I would add, by choosing how to feel about those memories we recall. Now, we also have something that's called the foresight bias. And everyone has experienced this. Say you have an idea that is so great that you think it's impossible you'll ever forget it. So you don't bother writing it down. Within 10 minutes, you've forgotten it, and it never comes back. We see the same thing in laboratory studies. In one study, people learned paired words like light, lamp. Then they are asked to estimate how likely it is they'll be able to answer lamp when later given the prompt, light. They are massively overconfident. And the reason is this foresight bias. When they get the word light, Later, all kinds of other things come to mind, like bulb or shade, and the correct answer isn't nearly as easy to remember as they predicted. Also, learning is under your control. And we often underestimate how much control we have over our own memory. For example, people tend to think that some things are, by their very nature, harder to learn. And because they think that, they give up too easily. However, techniques like using different contexts, switching between tasks, and strenuous reconstruction of memories can all help boost retention. People also tend to think that the past is fixed and that it's gone, that it can't be changed. But how we remember the past and think about it and feel about it can be changed. We work so much with this in hypnosis. Recalling memories in different ways with different perspectives can help us reinterpret our past and set us off on a different path in our future. For example, studies have shown that people can crowd out painful negative memories by focusing on more positive ones. All in all, our memory isn't as poor as we might imagine. It might not work exactly like a computer, but that's what makes it all the more fascinating to understand. So on to some memory boosters. These are simple things that you can do every day to help keep your neurons healthy and your memory sharp so that you are not one of those one in three Americans that has dementia when you're older. Number one memory booster, 
Take the stairs. Exercise benefits your head as much as it does the rest of your body. Studies show. And all overall, cardiovascular fitness also lowers the risk of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular problems. All of those are known risk factors for Alzheimer's disease. So experts recommend making regular aerobic workouts part of your routine, and it's going to boost your memory in, in, in addition to boosting your physical health as well. Memory booster number two, change things up. Move those post-it notes around. Change the wallpaper on your computer. When you do things that are routine, your brain starts to gloss things over and runs on autopilot. But making things new, changing things up, creating novelty in your life literally fires up the brain. New data is created, and it creates new neural pathways. So shake up what you see and do every day. I've, had, I've told people... You need to take a different path to work. Just, just come up with a different route to work and change it up. Don't take the same path every day. Shop at a different grocery store. And if your computer screen background is invisible to you, run one of those programs that makes it change every hour or so. Take a different route home from work. Brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand. Or get a book that makes you think about new ideas. Memory booster number three, take a nap. Oh, one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> While you're sleeping, that's when your brain sorts and files and stores memories that you accumulate during the day and makes sense of them, makes the connections between what you already have experienced and what you experienced just now. And so that's why eight hours sleep at night is really important. That's when your brain does all that. But if you take... Just a six-minute nap. This is German research. It's as valuable as a full night's sleep to aiding your short-term recall. A six-minute nap is as valuable as a full night's sleep to aiding short-term recall. And a 90-minute nap has been shown to speed up the processes that help the brain consolidate those long-term memories and really turn those, those experiences into learning and wisdom for you. Memory booster number four, Take a mental photograph, a mental snapshot. Memories aren't just stored in one spot in the brain. The bits of data are processed and they're stored in different areas. To help make the memory of an incident last, take a snapshot of it while you're in the moment using all of your senses. Look around and notice what you see. Notice what colors are there. Notice what you smell. Notice what you can feel. Feel your feet on the ground or the chair that you're sitting in. Make it fully sensory. Maybe there's even a taste involved. And that, that mental camera trick can help you hold on to a happy memory longer, and it can also help you remember where you parked the car. Memory booster number five, eat less. After only 12 weeks, volunteers, average age 60, who reduced their calories by 30%, scored 20% better on memory tests, more German research. Memory, memory booster number six, try one of those brain training games. My husband just signed up for Lumosity, and he is loving it. And I got on it the other day because we've got the subscription, so you know, even though it goes into his score, um, 
you know, <laughs> I'm not intentionally messing him up. <laughs> but it, it's very enjoyable, um, and it's it's interesting to watch your perceptions change as you move through those exercises. Um, memory booster, the next one, stop and take a break. So just like a nap, stop and take a break. Take a break in your day, and they show that green and black teas have a protective effect on memory. Um, they think that they, there might be some enzymes that are involved. But in any case, green and black teas have a protective effect on memory. So have some tea. Stop, take a break, have some tea, take a six-minute nap. <laughs> the next one, if you have any depression, take care of it. Because depression definitely impacts memory, as does anxiety. All right. One more here, and I like this one. Waggle your eyes back and forth. Yep, try it. <laughs> to help you remember something important, scan your eyes from side to side for 30 seconds. This little exercise helps unite the two hemispheres of your brain. And when the two hemispheres communicate well, you are better able to retrieve certain types of memories. So when you're trying to remember something and you're like, mm, just for 30 seconds, move your eyes from the far left to the far right, the far, like you're watching a tennis match, but you can't turn your head. Do that for 30 seconds and see how that improves your memory. All right, one more, and that is to quit smoking. Quit smoking. There is a relationship between smoking and Alzheimer's disease. Smokers develop the disease years earlier than non-smokers. So if you need, as if you needed another reason to quit, there it is. All right, and last but not least, and this one is an NLP technique that I alluded to in the earlier emails. This is my personal favorite, to remember specific things. And, you know, that's really what most people are looking for, right, is, uh, you know, help me so that I, I can remember specific things so that I don't walk out the door without my briefcase, right? Those times when you think to yourself, I really need to remember this. This technique is to project your, when you know that you need to remember something, to do something or to take something with you or remember where you put something. Project yourself into the future when you will be using whatever that thing is. See that context and notice something in that future event that's a trigger and tell yourself, when this happens, I will make sure that I have whatever it is you want to remember. So when I put my hand on this doorknob, that's my trigger that I'd better have my briefcase in my hand. For example, I have a package sitting on my desk right now, so one of my books to ship out to Amazon to replace one that they've sold. I want to remember to take that with me tomorrow when I leave for the post office so that when I'm done with my sessions, I can swing by the post office and drop it off. So what I am doing is I, rem I imagine getting into my truck tomorrow and I imagine looking at the passenger seat, and there should be that package sitting there. And I'm imagining that package sitting there. And so if there's the absence of that package, if that seat is empty, that will be my trigger, and my mind will go, 
something's missing. Ah, my package, and I will go and get it. Now, the chances are that just by going through this mental exercise, I have exponentially increased the chance of my remembering to take the package with me. But if for some reason I don't, like I get distracted, getting the kid ready for school, whatever the case may be, I now have my fail-safe internal reminder. I've been using this technique for a couple of years since I became a master NLP practitioner and learned this technique, and it works for me very well. It is my favorite memory technique. So again, the, the technique is to see yourself in the future at a key moment when you're going to be needing that whatever that is and create a trigger for yourself. So okay, that's the first part of our call today. I hope you've learned something. The next part is, of course, the hypnosis part. So if you are not in a place where you can close your eyes and relax in safety, then you can drop the line now and listen to the replay. If you are, then make yourself comfortable. Close your eyes if you haven't already. And just relax. Take a deep breath in. And we'll begin. Take another deep breath in. And a long, slow exhale. Good. And you can focus on some of what I'm saying. But the great thing is that you can relax like this. And you can listen to this recording again later. And each time you hear it, you can get something new out of it. Now, as you know, many people think they have bad memories. And let's think about this. It's true to say that your brain already has an amazing ability to store information. And this storage is commonly known as memory. And your brain can store information. And your brain can retrieve that information. And this retrieval is known as recall. That's it. And you really don't have to think or pay too much attention just yet. You can just relax and get a general sense of what I'm saying. If your memory and recall weren't amazing, you wouldn't recognize any of the words you're hearing right now. And you wouldn't know how to do any of the things you do in a normal day. You'd never recognize faces or know who you're related to. You wouldn't be able to do all the automatic things you've learned to do, such as drive a car, and you'd never recognize a song on the radio. And recognizing something when it is presented to you is a form of recall. In fact, the amount of information stored in your brain is limitless. 
And I recall a great man who was once criticized for his occasional inability to spell words. And to this he responded, yes, but what, all, what about all the words I do spell correctly? So you can respect the workings of your brain and acknowledge what it can already do. However, what is usually meant by having a bad memory is not always being able to remember something when you want it. Facts, figures, dates, and times are stored in memory, and it is recalling those items which poses problems from time to time. And when your brain has an almost unlimited amount of storage space, but sometimes it can take a while to retrieve a file, and you become better at laying down memories in the first place. That's what we call learning. And you can become better at retrieving those memories when they are needed. And your mind has different types of memories and recall. You have short-term memory, which is also the same part of the brain which lays down new learning. And in order to recall a memory, that memory needs to have been laid down in the first place. And this happens in different ways. Most learning, memory, and recall that you experience is unconscious and instinctive. This happens through a process called pattern matching or association. And you may have not consciously to try to remember the words to a song. But while it's playing over and over in the background, your brain is learning that song. Even though this isn't conscious. Not only that, but years later when you hear the song again, it may be associated with certain people or places in your life, which you recall when you hear the music. Think about a certain song or tune right now. And notice what associations or images that music produces in your mind. This is recall through association. Now, part of your brain, called the hippocampus, stores new information for you. It is your hippocampus that remembers a new phone number until the phone number is either written down or makes it across to your long-term memory. And if you've never heard of the hippocampus before tonight, then the word hippocampus is currently being registered in your hippocampus. If the word hippocampus doesn't make it into your long-term memory, it won't be retained in your hippocampus. It will only be recalled as that funny word you once heard. If you do store the word hippocampus into long-term memory, it will either be because I have mentioned the word hippocampus so many times, and that repetition has made it stick. Or because you have built up an association with the word. Or both. Things come to be stored in your long-term memory either through repetition, which strengthens the memory pathways of your brain, or through the power of association. Like that technique that I told you about, associating a future event with what you want to remember. And you've experienced the repetition of the word hippocampus because you've heard it so many times. So now what about developing an association? So let's think about this. You go to school to learn new things and then store those new things into long-term memory. And then you make a creative synthesis in connection with the learning. 
Now imagine a hippopotamus waddling to school or going on to campus. Imagine that now. A hippopotamus on campus. And there you have it. Hippocampus. A, hip a hippopotamus going to college. You also need to recall the word repeatedly once it is stored in long-term memory. And you know it is stored long-term if you can recognize it when somebody else mentions it. But can you, can you recall it if no one else can? You need to practice recalling it and bringing it into conversation. Read up about it consciously. Make more and more connections and associations in your brain. More neural pathways and synapses. The more you approach a subject from different angles, for example, talking about it, reading about it, even fantasizing about it, the stronger memory and recall associations become, changing contexts. This is one way you can exercise your brain and make it stronger. Of course, you may not be specifically interested in learning about the hippocampus, but thanks to me, this is a piece of information you now have. And now you know that repetition, association, and repeated recall can help you store and retrieve stuff that's important for you. We can also recall emotional memories, and I can recall emotional memories from my past, things that are embarrassing, or things that felt really good. And you can as well. Remember, the more you use a pathway through the forest, the easier it becomes to use that pathway. The same holds true with memory storage and recall, and sometimes you need to repeatedly use someone's name just to make it stick. Great to see you, Mary. Well, the thing is, Mary, have you heard the one about the hippocampus, Mary? The more you use a piece of new information, especially at first, the more securely it becomes stored in your memory. And what about the association? The funnier or even ruder the association, the more likely it is to be stored into long-term memory. Ducks bob up and down in the water, right? So if I'm trying to remember Bob as a name, I can imagine Bob swimming along with a plastic duck on his head, bobbing up and down in the water. Of course, once Bob's name is stored long-term, I don't have to think about a plastic duck every time to recall it. But this imaginative association can be a, a hook to hang that memory on, to get the information from short-term to long-term memory. And you only need to spend a few moments visualizing the association. Now you can really begin to invest time in repeating and building associations with things you want to restore and recall. And as you relax deeper, just notice those sensations of rest and relaxation really soothing and comforting your muscles. And the parts of your body that perhaps don't normally relax so deeply, 
over the next few moments. I want you to do a little time travel into the future in your mind and notice the difference. Notice the improvements and the benefits of your developing memory and recalling how building creative associations can become quicker and quicker, more and more automatic, so you can commit things to long-term memory more efficiently and powerfully. Just take an inner journey, noticing how life can be transformed by consciously investing time to remember and recall until it becomes an unconscious and instinctive, automatic skill. Imagine that now, how good your memory is going to be in your future. So remember now, to recall a fact, you need to invest time in creating an association, either an imaginative association like the duck and the bob or the hippopotamus on campus or a real-life association of, re- of remembering a future event because that's really what you're doing when you're projecting yourself into the future and seeing that moment when you need to have whatever that item or that piece of information is. And it doesn't have to be a a thing. It can be a piece of information that you're remembering that you need to have at that point, creating that trigger. That's that association. So, invest time in creating an association and practice recalling the fact. And then visualize recalling the memory on lots of different occasions and you will always remember how to do it. At first, this will be a conscious exercise, but as you do it more and more, it will become automatic. The more you do it, the more automatic it becomes. The more automatic it becomes, the better your memory is. And the more you do this, the more automatic it becomes. And the more automatic it becomes, the better your memory is. God. So now you can just begin to drift back to full awareness, coming up, feeling wide awake and refreshed. A count of one, two, three, four, five. Eyes open, wide awake, feeling great. One, two, three, four, five. Eyes open, wide awake, feeling great. God, I hope you learned a lot. I hope you put into practice the techniques we discussed. 
And as you see your memory improving, feel your memory improving, hear your memory improving, the more automatic it becomes, the better your memory is. And that is a wonderful thing. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And good night.